Welcome. Welcome to North Point. We are glad you're here. If it's your first time here, a special welcome to you. Uh, What's going to happen is some welcome books are going to come on down and they're going to get passed across. If it's your first time, if you'd fill that out, if you've been here um, a zillion times, fill that out as well. And that way, a zillion. Yeah, there we go. Um, That's a lot. Um, If you've been here a long, long time, fill that out as well. It it allows us to stay in touch with you. And uh, if you've got any changes in uh, email, phone number, any any of that kind of stuff, if you've changed your name, uh, be are you there? Okay. All right, just check it. If you've changed your name, then we wouldn't know that you were the same person, right? Sorry. Whew. Let me tell you a story. Oh, uh, before we get to the story, um, after the welcome books go by, offering buckets are going to go by. And uh, I, I was just I was thinking about this this past week. You know, when the offering buckets go by, sometimes people put cash in, which is a really cool thing. Sometimes people put checks in, which is a really cool thing. And sometimes people just pass the buckets by. And and if you were watching, you might say, oh, those people never give anything. What's really incredibly cool is that lots and lots and lots of people at North Point give electronically. They have it set up with their bank uh, just like they do all of their other monthly expenses. Um, but it gives them a chance to be proactive in terms of saying, this is how much we're going to give back to God and to do it right off the top, right from the get go. And um, to have it not be something that just kind of happens spontaneously, but something that they plan and uh, think about and pray about in a, in a great way. So you can do that. You can do that through the website. You can uh, go and look down at the button that's on the bottom of the front page of the website. And that'll talk you through how to give electronically. You can just set it up with your bank and have a check sent to the church. Lots of people do that as well. And that's a really cool thing. Um, I don't know that I've ever talked very much about high school for me, but when I was in high school, um, I played football and, and, um, and enjoyed it, played pretty well. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. I think that's probably where my love for Ohio State started back there when I was in high school. But um, thanks. Um, but here's the deal. Football wasn't my life in high school. It was from August until November. But the thing that really was my, my that really captured a lot of my time was music. I, I sang in the choir um, during each of the summers uh, while I was in high school. I went to a music workshop that was in um, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, in eastern Pennsylvania. It was called the Fred Waring Music Workshop. If you're an old timer, you may recognize the name Fred Waring. Um, he had a he had a significant impact on choral music. Uh, basically from about 1910, 1920 up through uh, about 1980. He he was a big deal. And so I went to this workshop. Mr. Waring conducted the workshop, had big staff, that kind of thing. Eastern Pennsylvania, Delaware Water Gap. Um, Shawnee Press was the name of his publishing company. And um, I can remember going to this conference, uh, to this two-week workshop. It was incredible, incredible experience. And at night, sometimes they would have different people come in and, um, and talk or play or whatever. And one night there was this guy named Johnny Coates Jr. that came in. I recognized his name because he had written some choral music for Shawnee Press that we had sung in our choir. Some really, really cool things. And, and when they introduced him and he came out, he was really, really socially awkward. He, had, um, he was bald like through the middle but had long hair that went down to kind of the middle of his back. Um, he just looked really gangly and kind of weird. And he sat down at the piano and started to play. And he was a jazz pianist. Uh, and 
I sat there and, and, and just thought, this is incredibly cool. That, um, that, that album that's up on front, that album cover, that's, I think, one of the first albums I bought with my own money, the jazz piano of, of Johnny Coates. Um, really, really fun stuff. He, uh, he played in a bar in, uh, in um, Delaware Water Gap, and they brought him over, and he played, and it was kind of my first introduction to jazz. I'd never really heard it before and just thought it was incredibly, incredibly cool. Fast forward a few years, I became a music minister and um, then uh, went from music ministry in the church to uh, teaching at a college in southwestern Missouri, a college that trained music ministers. I was the head of music department. And when I went to this college, one of the things that they did was the music faculty from other Christian colleges would get together and do a conference each fall. Um, and, and so for me, the first one that we went to was in, was in uh, Tennessee, East Tennessee, and it was incredibly cool to be with other people who were doing kind of the same things that I was doing. But one of the featured people that they had at this conference was the, was the, the arranger for the group Manhattan Transfer. Anybody know Manhattan Transfer? Vocal jazz, incredibly cool stuff. And I sat and listened to this arranger talk about jazz in a way that I had never heard anybody talk about jazz. It was like a lot of people. I, I, I thought jazz was kind of cool when I listened to Johnny Coates play, when I listened to his album, I thought that was great. But if I listened to jazz for very long, I thought, well, you know, this person plays and then this person plays and this person plays. Then they all, somehow they all know when to finish and it just stops. You know, they all just kind of do their stuff. But when I listened to this arranger, they talked about the theory involved in jazz and that the chords that you could substitute for other chords and the progressions that took place in jazz. And all of a sudden, it just opened this entire new world to me with jazz. Uh, I, Fast forward to when I was in Ohio at the church there, there was a, a, a guy who was a part of the church named Jack Novotny. He plays with the Eddie Brookshire Quintet, which is a, a jazz group that plays throughout the Midwest. They're from Dayton, Ohio, and, but they play pretty much every, every place, uh, Philadelphia out to um, Illinois, I think, is, is where they go, sometimes up in Michigan. Um, and, and when I met Jack, the saxophone player that's there um, on, your left, on your right, um, it was really, really cool to know that there was this incredible group and one of those guys came to church. So we had them play at church. I learned something very interesting. Um, jazz in church doesn't resonate with lots of people as an act of worship very well. For some, because it's associated with other stuff. For others, because, they, because it's just a different kind of a medium that they, that they don't connect with. But... I, I could sit and listen to, to the quintet anytime. I, as a matter of fact, Deb and I went to our first jazz bar to hear them play in Dayton, which really, really cool experience. Somewhere along the line, I discovered um, Benny Goodman and fell in love with this. Benny Goodman. There we go. A tune called Sing, Sing, Sing. Um, the, 
here's the, here's the deal. I have grown to love jazz. And the really cool thing about jazz is that the players in, uh, <clears throat> in a jazz group, a jazz has never played exactly the same way twice. It's always different based on what's going on in the life of the performers. They, they have a rough idea of where they're going, but, but what's inside springs out in jazz over and over again. Sometimes jazz is just euphoric. It's, there's this incredible sense, <coughs> excuse me, of joy that comes out as they play, as they sing. And sometimes jazz is, is real plaintive. It's very reflective. Uh, it's sad. It's melancholy. There's this sense that happens as the players play that it just goes to a really deep place of pain and hurt that comes out musically. Now, some of you are thinking there's got to be a sermon in here somewhere. Please get there. Right. Um, all of that introduction to say we start a new series today from the Psalms and the and the theme for the series is called All That Jazz. The reason that we've taken that name for it is because the Psalms, like jazz, have emotions that spread the gamut. In the Psalms, you'll find, you'll, you'll find this sense of euphoria as people say, oh, I serve the God of the universe. It's the most incredible thing to look at nature, to look around and see the hand of God. Uh, the, the encouragement to say, come, let us sing a new song to the Lord, the joy of our salvation. And there are Psalms that come from the depths of despair inside the heart of the psalmist, where they cry out to God and say, God, I don't understand how life can be like this. Come, rescue me. Psalms are, are very much like jazz in that there's this sense of authenticity that weaves through them. And God's big enough to hear our complaints, our, our laments, our pain, um, and to make sense of that. That's where we're going over the next eight weeks. We'll be in a different psalm each week. Today we're going to look at Psalm 1. Uh, psalm 1, if you've got your Bibles, uh, take them out and get there. While you're getting there, let me just say this as well. There's a, there are some words that are very specific to the Christian world or to the church world, right? There are some words that like you only hear in this context. One of those words is blessed, right? You, you never hear anybody just out in the world saying, oh, yeah, that really blessed me. Um, if you ask someone, uh, how are you doing today? And they say, oh, man, I'm blessed. You know that they've got some kind of connection to God, some connection to a church or whatever. You never ask like a gang member, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed. Yeah, uh, you know, that just doesn't happen. If you ask an atheist, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. And the atheist would say, blessed by who? Blessed? How? What's, what's that look like? Blessed is a word that, that really comes out of the context of, of church and our relationship with God. Some people um, define blessed as being happy, that there's this sense of, uh, you know, what the easiest way to describe that is happy. I think it's a lot more than that. The dictionary says that, that the word blessed or blessed means to be made holy or consecrated, to be made holy or consecrated. This is the definition that I think makes sense to me. It, it, it works for me. Being blessed is this sense of peace that comes from being the right person in the right place uh, at the right time, doing the right stuff, and having this sense of God smiling at you in that place. 
Does that make sense to anybody? That, 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 doesn't that make you just want to say, oh, yeah, I want that sense of blessing. Right person, right place, um, uh, doing the right thing, sensing God's smile on us. Psalm 1 starts with that word. It says, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked aren't so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Small section of scripture, right? Psalm 1. It really is kind of a, an introduction, of, uh, uh, a preface for the entire book of Psalms. Um, it kind of sets the stage in terms of understanding who God is and how we're supposed to relate to him. Right, let me just say kind of right off the top, um, I'd encourage you over the next couple of months as we do this series um, to begin to read the, the book of Psalms. You can, you can, if you read five Psalms a day, five Psalms a day, you'll read the entire book of Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, in a month, in 30 days. Um, if, uh, so if you start now, uh, by the time the series fin- finishes, you will have read through the Psalms twice that way. Um, if you want to be really aggressive... Um, spend some time, catch, catch yourself up, read the first 20 Psalms today, and uh, then you're right on target in terms of the day of the month, and it's easier to keep track of that way. Um, the Psalms uh, describe how we, uh, how we interact with God. And so in Psalm 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's this sense of progression that's there as we look at the psalm. The the, the psalmist says, okay, the man is blessed by what he doesn't do. Later he's going to say what he does do. And then he's going to paint some pictures. This is what it looks like to be blessed. This is what it looks like to not be blessed. And ultimately, then the last couple of verses, he talks about about judgment. Um, He says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. What's it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? I think it's to listen to the advice of the wicked. Walk in the counsel. Listen to the advice of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. What's, What's it look like to stand in the way of sinners? I think it's to live immersed in sin. To live in, a, in, in such a way that there's just sin all around you, every part of your life. Sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, what's, what's a scoffer do? He, he loathes the things of God. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He disparages them and talks poorly about them. Uh, that concept of scoffing, of scorning the things of God. Yesterday I was reading the paper, and if you checked yesterday's paper in the back section, there was an interview with Bill Maher. Uh, the comedian who does the show on HBO, political commentary kind of thing. In that, um, in that interview, they ask him about uh, his source for material. He's a political uh, guy. So he said, man, there's always fresh material because of the politics. One of the specific questions, he said, he said you know, there, there are people that we call smart, stupid people. 
Um, he said Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson is one of those people. Ben, Dr. Ben Carson is running for president. This is not going to be a political deal. Let me just, I, I want to illustrate the whole thing of, of being a scoffer. Um, Mar said, um, Dr. Ben Car- Carson is, is incredibly smart. He's brilliant. He's a pediatric surgeon that has pioneered new techniques that are used all over the world to help take care of these tiny, tiny children. He's incredibly smart, but he's stupid because he believes that the earth is less than 10,000 years old. How can somebody, how can somebody live being that smart and that stupid at the same time? That's the picture of a scoffer, right? That they disparage everything that comes from a person, either because they don't understand it or because they're opposed to it in, in terms of their own heart. He's scoffing at Ben Carson. Um, that's, the, that's the picture that's there in, um, uh, in Psalm 1. Um, this, this picture that's there, walking in the... Um, Walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Um, please understand that that's not a challenge for us to insulate ourselves from the world and never have contact with the rest of the world. It's not a challenge for us to say only interact with other believers in Christ. Only surround yourself with people who are Christians. It's not that at all because that's not consistent with Scripture, right? Because Jesus said, go into the world and, and, and preach the gospel. Teach, baptize, teach people who are far from me. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's not that we remove ourselves from the world, but it is about where we get our advice, where we get counsel, and and what influences us in terms of how we live. Um, when we, when we say no to things, when we say no to the counsel of the wicked, no to standing in the way of sinners, no to the seat of the scoffers, um, sometimes we perceive that as being, oh, you know, the church is all about all the no's. You're not supposed to do this, not supposed to do that, not supposed to do this, not supposed to do that. It, it's actually not. When we say no to some things, we say no so that we can say yes to other things, right? Michael Phelps has won a boatload of medals in the Olympics, as a swimmer, because he says no to all kinds of things. He says no to bad food. He says no to a life that most of us would describe as normal because he spends six hours, six days a week in the water. He spends uh, between two and four hours a day doing exercise outside of the water. He says no to all kinds of things so that he can say yes to the thing that matters. Psalmist says, blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, get the advice of, of the world around him, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, that he doesn't come and get surrounded by the ways of sin, that those don't penetrate, permeate his life. Blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, right? Um, at this point, the change has happened dramatically. Let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. So you know, so you know, this has a good ending for you, all right? If I were a Michigan State fan, 
if I were a Michigan State fan. And I was walking over here and having conversation, just walking, doing my thing. And I was around a bunch of Ohio State fans. And the Ohio State fan said, why are you a Michigan State fan? That's foolish. How many national championships do you have? Um, how long have you been doing well? You know, you, your, your run has been really short with Dan Antonio. What are you doing being a Michigan State fan? And, and, and you hear that as a Michigan State fan, and you think, well, that's true. We don't have all that that Ohio State has. And you kind of listen to that and go through that process. Walking in the council of the wicked. Ohio State fans are wicked in this, okay? Um, or stand or stand in the way of sinners. All of a sudden, you've gone from listening to the advice to engaged in the conversation. At this point, you're talking to the Ohio State people and saying, oh, you know what? Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott is really good. He, uh, you've got these guys who are probably better than Michigan State guys. You've got all this history, all this stuff. You're engaged in the conversation, and all of a sudden you've gone from just hearing to thinking, boy, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe I should, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should convert. And then you en- end up here in the seat of scoffers where you say, Michigan State, who wants, who wants to pay attention to that? I want to be an Ohio State fan, right? And then you begin to say, and then you begin to say, you know what? Michigan State's terrible. You become the person who initiates that conversation to say, oh, Ohio State's the best, whatever. Again, realize Ohio State's the bad guys in this, okay? I did that just for you guys. Um, yeah, um, but do you understand that picture? Walking in the counsel of the wicked is when we begin to hear the advice of the world around us. And we begin to say, hmm, does that make sense? That's interesting. Or it just, or it just keeps bombarding us. When we get to the place that we're standing in the way of sinners, all of a sudden we have become surrounded by sin. It becomes a part of our life. It becomes a normal part of what we see and do. And at its completion, we end up sitting in the seat of scoffers saying, the things of God, that's stupid. Why would anyone think that? I can't believe that I was that, 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 I was that foolish to think that at that point in time. There are all kinds of real life illustrations for that, right? You're a follower of Jesus. You're at work. You hear people gossiping about somebody that works in the, in the next cubicle over, the next office over, and, and you hear what they say and you think, I, I never really thought that, but I wonder if that's true about that person. Huh. And that begins to permeate into our thinking. A few weeks later, you're engaged in the conversation. Oh, did you hear this? Yeah, I think that they did that. Yeah, I heard that too. And that gossip has gone from just advice to being a part of your life. And you ultimately end up in a place where you're the person who's starting the rumors. You're the person who's initiating the gossip. You're the one who becomes the source for all that. The psalmist said, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's all kinds of illustrations. Think about in your own life. Uh, the, the easiest ones that come to my mind are, are alcohol. 
You know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, nobody should drink alcohol to go over here. But you hear, you, you see the world around us saying, oh, alcohol's not a big deal. You know, a little drink here, a little drink there. As long as you're not drinking and driving, that's good. Alcohol's okay. And that progresses till you can't get through the day without a drink. You're using a drink to cope, to work through that to work through all the stuff of life, right? To the place that your life is consumed and you cannot go on without alcohol. And then you say, somebody doesn't drink? That's stupid. What good is life without alcohol? Same process with an affair, right? Relationship outside of marriage. You watch the movies, you read the books, say, oh... Yeah, if you really love someone, that love's going to be alive all the time. It's going to, you know, you're always going to have romance, do all that stuff. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something else out there for you. You're listening to the counsel of the wicked. Before long, you realize that all of a sudden you're having conversations that are going places they should not be going, and you're doing things that you should not be doing. You're standing in the way of sinners and you end up in a place that you scoff at people who have been married for 10 or 20 or 40 or 50 years that you scoff at the idea of anybody being faithful long term and still loving their spouse blessed happy the sense of the smile of God comes when we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But instead, our delight, the blessed man's delight, is found in, in the word of, uh, of God, in the law of the Lord. But his delight is found in the law of the Lord. In it, he meditates day and night thinks about scripture all the time. We're going to get there in just a second, but just think for a second. All right, I, um, I, let me just digress for a second. The, um, a lot of you are going to join life groups that this week is going to be the, the first week you do life group. We've done a challenge to say, oh, be a part of a life group. Just try it for the next eight, eight weeks during the All That Jazz series. One of the questions that's in this week's sermon-based, sermon-based questions that I love is a question that says something to the effect of... Um, If you were to ask my kids or my spouse or the people who are closest to me what I delight in, what would they answer? Don't ask me what I delight in. Ask my kids or my wife or my family, my close friends. What is it that he delights in? The psalmist says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. What is it that you delight in? Interesting question. Um, When we hear the word meditation, we tend to think like the whole transcendental meditation thing, right? Where your legs go crazy and you do the arm thing and go, right? Where you just clear your mind of everything. If you think meditation, how many of you think that? Yoga, the come on. I think it. (laughs) All right. Um, that, That whole meditation thing. That's not what the Bible describes as meditation. Um, 
transcendental meditation, that stuff, the, the whole purpose of the, Eastern, of the Eastern religions in meditation is to disengage the mind, to make your mind check out, to drop everything out of your mind. And what the Bible describes as meditation is just the opposite. It's to fully engage your mind. It's, it's, to, it's to be so caught up with a thought that you're just chewing it over and over and over and over again. That it's spinning around in your mind and you can't get rid of it because it's there. And, it's, and it's, you're just thinking about how it makes sense. The word that's there actually in, in the original language is the word that's used to describe a cow when he chews his cud. All right. Uh, a cow, when they graze, they eat the grass, eat the grain, whatever it is, and they chew it. Average cow, average cow. Uh, is there such a thing as an average cow? The cow on average um, chews 30,000 times a day. That's a lot of chewing, right? They're chewing, 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 chewing. Eight hours a day a cow is chewing because when they eat the grass, what happens is they put it in their mouth. They chew it up. It goes down into the first section of their stomach and it sits there for a little while and then they regurgitate it back up into their mouth. Thank you very much, Rick, for that picture that's there, right? Um, And then they chew it some more. They chew it a whole bunch more and swallow it down again and it goes into the next uh, two sections of their stomach. It's a four-section process uh, for them as they digest what it is that they eat. It's a long process. That's the picture of what the psalmist says, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God, who meditates on the law, that, that we hear and read God's word and we, and we don't do it as a duty. Oh, you know what? I've got to go do my quiet time. Oh, Rick said I'm supposed to go read my Bible, so I've got to go do it. That's, that's not the basis of any kind of relationship, right? Duty? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you have a relationship because of duty, but that's not what you want. You want it to be a delight. And when we delight, all of a sudden we read God's word and God starts saying, oh, have you thought about that before? What's, what does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? Am I doing that? And you begin to think through that at every aspect of your life, to meditate on his word day and night. Um, Skip Heitziger, who's a minister in, in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, said meditation is the link between theory and action. I like that. Meditation is the link between theory and action. We can read scripture all we want, but if it doesn't find its way into our head and into our heart, it will never get lived out in our soul. Um, meditation takes a lot of time and it, and it comes from repeated exposure, Right hearing stuff over and over and over again. Now, I'm going to see how old you are. Um, I'm going to say a phrase, and you finish the phrase for me, all right? Here's the story of a lovely what? Who was what? Bringing up three very lovely girls. Good. All right. You win that one. Uh, How about this one? The weather started getting rough. If not for the courage of the fearless crew... Thank you very, very much. Like a good neighbor, all you need is. Uh, How about you've lost that? Thank you. All right. How about if we go to the world of the Beatles? Imagine. Imagine what? 
there's, there's a whole bunch of imagines in there. But, but here's, here's the thing that's interesting to me. Almost everybody can sing um, imagine, some part of imagine. And here, here's part of the text of that. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. The counsel of the wicked. Um, uh, go, go Wizard of Oz. If happy little bluebirds fly beyond the rainbow... Why, oh, why can't I? Well, we, we hear things, they find our ways, they find their way into our minds. And sometimes uh, they come at times that we don't want them to, that influence that comes from the things that we're exposed to. How about this? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, that I might not sin against you. What is it that we're exposing ourselves to? What is it that we're meditating on so that, that they, those things shape our lives? Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You know, the average person has their TV on in their life five hours Every day, five hours a day, your TV is on, you're being exposed to. Average person spends two and a half hours a day on their smartphone. Two and a half hours a day on their smartphone. Uh, statistically, according to the, to the polls, one in four Americans reads their Bible four times a week or more. One in four Americans and of those, of those one in four that read their Bible four times a week or more, um, the, the, the average time that I read that, that they spend reading is 10 minutes a day. Do you understand how critical it is, how, how precarious we live our lives when we fill our minds with stuff other than the Word of God? You know, when David wrote... Um, I, I love your law. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Do you know what he was talking about? There, the New Testament didn't exist, right? The prophets didn't exist at that point in time. The books of poetry didn't exist. He was talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When he said, I love your law, he was talking about the parts that we don't like to read because they're all laws, Right? David said, I love your law because it helps me understand who you are. What's the person who's blessed look like? There's a, you know, he, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the, in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On it, he meditates day and night. What's he look like? He looks like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf doesn't wither. I, I wish there was a way to have a large living tree here on stage right now 
to be able to talk about that. I, I remember the first time I realized how, how um, solid, how powerful trees were. Uh, again, I was probably in high school, uh, driving um, in, in Ohio, down State Route 48, I can still remember it. Car, 60 miles an hour, hit a tree. Sheared the car, saw the person that had actually survived, but they were busted up, bleeding all over the place. You know, a car going 60 miles an hour, when they hit a tree, the tree doesn't move. The car gives way completely. He said, the blessed man is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, its leaf doesn't wither. When we lived in Ohio, we, we had five acres. We lived out in the country. We had 50 different fruit trees on our property. It was, it was incredibly fun. We had apple trees. We had pear trees. We had peach trees. Um, we had cherry trees. And, um, and the cherries, we, I, I was great at. We could do great with the cherries. The apples, I always had trouble with because what would happen is everything would look great. We, we pruned. We did the whole deal. But we'd hit August and, and blight would set in. Blight is these little patches of brown that, take, uh, that go into the leaves and, and they cause the leaves to curl up. And when they do, it, it ultimately impacts the fruit. The fruit doesn't grow very well. It, it's not very big. It's not very juicy because the, the leaves wither up. Um, yeah, in order to take care of blight, you've got to, you've got to spray. You've got to make sure that the soil is right. You've got to do all kinds of stuff. The picture that the psalmist describes, he says, blessed is a man um, who loves the law of the Lord, who delights in the law of the, law of the Lord. He's, he's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. At regular times, at the right times, just the right response comes. The fruit shows itself. Its leaf doesn't wither. And then he says, not so the wicked. He paints a different picture. He says, not so the wicked. The wicked aren't like a tree. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Most of us don't have any contact with, with uh, wheat, really, to speak of, right? When's the last time you held wheat in your hand? Not very often. But if you, if you would go out in a field where wheat is being harvested and pluck some, you could rub it together and the husk of the wheat would come off and the grains of wheat would fall down into your hand. If you throw it up in the air, the wind would blow the, the, those husks away, the chaff. I, I wanted to just kind of show that, but I, I couldn't get any wheat. And so I was talking to Deb and I said, here's what I'd like to do. These are Spanish peanuts. Um, the Spanish peanuts have those little shells on them, right? And Deb said, this is never going to work uh, because it's, they're, they're too small. But let me, let me just show you. This is, this is the chaff of Spanish peanuts. That's what the psalmist describes as the wicked. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. So, the question that ultimately comes to us is how you want to live. The psalmist says the wicked won't stand in judgment. The last two verses say, therefore, the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The ultimate question that comes down for us, to us today, for each of us to wrestle with is how we want to live. Do we want to stand in the judgment or not stand? Do we want our lives to matter or do we want to perish 
and be done. It may be that you're saying right now that you're saying, you know, I, I get it. I, I've just never read the Bible. I don't know how to do it. First of all, let me just say, if you don't have a Bible, stop out at the booth and we've got some Bibles. We would love to give you one that you can take home and read. Um, get the app, you know, uh, uh, get the version app, whatever, and begin to read. But where do you start? I, I said before you could start in Psalms, re- read through the Psalms right now. Another great place to play to start would be in the biographies of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are called the Gospels. Mark is the shortest of those. It's, it's probably the easiest place to start because Mark describes the action of Jesus' life. It's, a, it's, it's very action-oriented. After you read um, one of the Gospels or all four of the Gospels, maybe go to the book of James. The book of James is, I, I think, is, is a, really, uh, book, uh, a really easy book to read because it's very practical. It deals with what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus on a daily basis. It deals with the stuff that comes out of our mouth, controlling our tongue. It deals with trials, how you deal with, with the stuff of life that's just difficult in order to be able to deal with. It deals with prejudice. It, 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 um, There's so many things. James, great place to, to go. After that, maybe, maybe especially if you've got an analytical mind, go to the book of Romans and read through the book of Romans because in Romans, Paul makes this case to say, he takes the first half of the book saying, you know what, God really, really loves you. God really, really loves you. At the end of chapter 8, he says, who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. And then the last eight chapters say, if God loves you, this is what life looks like. This is what it looks like to, to be a tree planted by streams of water. In order to do that, we've got to immerse ourselves in scripture, we've got to internalize scripture. We've got to allow scripture to get inside of us. I, I don't know about you, but it, it's, it's been tremendously convicting to me to think, to, to, to say those statistics, TV on five hours a day, cell phone, two and a half hours a day. How much time am I spending reading scripture? And is it any surprise that we find ourselves in the seat of scoffers? when we're filling our minds with the counsel of the wicked, when we're, when we're walking in the way of sinners. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's really interesting about jazz is that many jazz musicians don't know, um, that they don't use any notated music. What, what's notated music? Notated music is the music that's on a staff, right, with the notes that are half notes, whole notes, core notes, all that stuff that tell them what to play. Um, Jazz musicians don't use that because jazz is an expression of what's inside of them. Uh, our team up here, we use chord charts, um, with music that have the chord, an A chord, a G chord, an F chord, B flat chord that's there. We, we use those to help map out how we're going to... That's not the way it is in jazz. Most good jazz musicians only <coughs> use a number system. They'll say that here's going to be the chord progression that we're going to play. We're going to play a one, four, five, two, six, five, one progression. Eight bars on each of those. Um, this person's going to play at this time. This person's going to play at this time. Everybody knows where they're going. There's this roadmap. If they say, oh, you know what? Let's not do it in E minor today. Let's do it in G minor instead. Everybody says, oh, okay. They, they get there. They make the mental notation to be able to do that, and they take off and play. How is it that they do that? 
it's because they have spent so much time with their instrument that their fingers know automatically, if I'm playing in E minor, here's the scale. If I'm playing in G major, here's the scale. Here's the, the fingers just automatically take off and go. Why? Because they have immersed themselves in their music. The challenge for us, the challenge for us, church, is to begin to get God's word inside us because it will change everything. It'll change the decisions that we make. It'll change the way that we think. It will change the way that we interact with folks. Not out of a sense of duty. Don't get God's word in us out of this sense of duty. Oh, I got to go do that but that it comes as a result of a relationship. How do you have a relationship with God? By spending time with Him. When you begin to read His Word, you will fall in love with God in a fresh way all over again. An incredible sense of being the right person, in the right place, doing the right things, and God smiling on you. May it be so. Let's pray. God, we don't want to just